Welcome to Foundation Christian Church. We're glad that you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit foundationcitrusheights.com. It is my pleasure to have Timothy Stewart come to us. He's uh, from Lodi. Timothy, please join us. Amen. Thanks, Dennis. Amen. Good morning. My name is Timothy, as Dennis said, and um, my wife and I are here along with my youngest son, Caleb. Caleb is 11 years old, and he wanted to come today because he has met some friends from Foundation at family camp, and so he was super excited to be here this morning. Um, I actually have five children, um, four girls, and my youngest, Caleb, is here, but my oldest, Mariah, she's 19, and she's in college in Newberry, South Carolina right now. And then I have an 18-year-old, Amara Glory. She's a senior at Lodi High. And then I have a 16-year-old, Kayla Joy. She's a sophomore at Lodi High. And then I have Savannah Hope. And Savannah Hope is 14 years old, and she is in eighth grade in Lodi. And so we have a family that is we love to death. And there's a whole story behind that. I wish I had more time to share with you. But my wife and I, we actually met in high school. And um, we have been married for 25 years this year. And so we actually threw ourselves our own little wedding this July, and it was a lot of fun. It was a busy summer for the Stewart family because in August, we actually took our oldest to South Carolina. And yes, I did have about an hour and a half worth of crying from dropping her off at Newberry all the way to Charleston. But we dropped her off because this last year, um, she got a scholarship to play rugby at Newberry College. Um, anyone like rugby, watch rugby, know about rugby? Has anyone ever heard about rugby? I don't, you know, <laughs> rugby is... I thought it was a man's sport, but then my daughter started wanting to play, and they started a club in Elk Grove, and so it was, okay, let's see how this rugby game thing is. I have, I, she's been doing it for about six to seven years. I still don't know what a uh, ruck is or anything like that, but it was fun, and I love the culture of rugby, and, you know, it was a big deal for our daughter. We're a pretty tight-knit, close family to go all the way to South Carolina, and Yet, she's having a good time, and, and as I've been thinking about what I wanted to share this morning, I really wanted to start with Mariah and her journey with rugby, because, you know, motivation matters. Why would you go across the country, right, to play rugby at a small college that you're all by yourself? We don't have any family in South Carolina, and so what is the motivation to go play rugby? It could be motivation for a scholarship. It could be motivation to graduate. It could be motivation to just get away from mom and dad. I don't know, maybe that's a secret motivation. But motivation matters because when things get rough, you know, she's had a few things happen while she's over there. She had a kidney stone um, and she was bent over on the bed, barely could get up. Mom and dad's not there. What do you do in those situations? Thankfully, she's met some good friends. She's also had some different um, roadblocks put in front of her by the NCAA um, with some different credits in her college and her high school career. And so she's on the team and she's practicing, but she's yet to play a game. And so can you imagine going all the way across the country, getting on the team, and then finding out you can't play a game? So the first weekend, she couldn't travel with her team because she wasn't 
allowed to by the NCAA, she was really discouraged. And so what happens when roadblocks, obstacles come in your way? How can you stay motivated is the question this morning. And I think that vision motivates, a vision for some preferred future. I remember a talk from a guy named Louis Giglio. He kind of head up the passion movement. You may be familiar with him, but he was talking about rugby, and he was actually talking about the South African team. There's the flag right over there. Um, they're called the, um, make sure I get this right, the Springboks. They're one of the most fierce competitors in the world of rugby. Um, their rival is the New Zealand, New Zealand All Blacks, and they have a fierce rivalry. But he w was talking about a time where he went to the airport and he saw a t-shirt, and it was a Nike t-shirt, and he, it said, we play for glory. We play for glory. And, you know, the rugby team, they're not out there doing it for their own selfish thing. They're not even doing it for the money or the prestige or their resume. Like, the, the, the message on the t-shirt was, we play, our motivation for playing rugby is something far beyond our little story. Our, we're playing for the glory of South Africa. That's motivation. That's a vision to play for something greater and bigger than yourself. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the motivation behind mission. I want to talk to you about the motivation behind community, how we love one another. I want to talk to you this morning about the motivation, really, for all of life. And that is the glory of God. The glory of God is our why. It's why we do what we do. And whether we are doing missions across the seas or across the street, motivation matters. Because mission, community, life can be hard. Amen to that? Amen. It can be hard. So what motivates us to keep going, to keep on keeping on. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Habakkuk 2.14. We're going to read several different scriptures this morning, but this is going to be the one that kind of sets us in a trajectory this morning in a certain direction. And so Habakkuk, it's in, let's see if I can even find it here. It's one of those minor prophets that kind of gets lost in the shuffle. And if you wouldn't mind, um, when I, I'm the pastor at Vintage Church in Lodi, and when we read the scripture, our text, we all stand. And so I would just ask, if you're willing and you're able, would you stand to honor God's word this morning? Um, I say that we stand because we believe that the scriptures are given to us so that we might be equipped, encouraged, and empowered to make Jesus irresistible in our everyday life. And it's just one verse this morning. And this is what the prophet says. He says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this picture we ask, Lord, that you would move in our midst this morning, that you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know Jesus better. 
We want the eyes of our hearts open this morning. We want to see glory. And, and the only way for us to see glory this morning is through the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We want to see the face of Jesus this morning. So would you illuminate scriptures and would you bring to light the glory of your son Jesus in the light of the gospel? We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. First thing I want to say this morning is that vision determines motivation. This is why Proverbs 29.18 says, Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Perhaps you're more familiar with another translation that says, Where there is no vision, can anyone finish it? The people perish. You see, where there is no vision, we lose motivation. We, we cast off restraint. We perish. We lose motivation because it gets difficult. It gets hard. And as I mentioned, for Mariah, she is currently faced with adversity. She must not lose sight of the vision of her graduation, perhaps, or even her future career. She's a current psychologist major. She wants to be a social worker. So, so maybe that's the vision that she, she sees ahead because if her vision was just rugby... And rugby's taken away from her, then perhaps it's easy to lose motivation. You see, a small vision leads to fleeting motivation. If we have a small vision for our life, when that is taken away from us, it's very easy to lose motivation. I recall a time when I lived for baseball. Um, this was the vision of my life. I, I was on varsity four years in high school. I thought that I was going to go to college and God willing, maybe even to the play ball after college. But then I tore my ACL. I had moved from Amador County to Elk Grove to play baseball and I tore my ACL. And you know what happened after that? I lost all motivation because my vision was baseball. And when that was taken from me, I lost all motivation. This happens to us when we have lesser visions. You see, for example, um, if our motivation for mission is church growth, then our motivation wanes when the church doesn't grow. You see, there's, there's lots of lesser visions that, that come our way in life and in ministry and on mission. And there's one vision that is ultimate. By very definition, ultimate can only be one thing, and that is the glory of God, as we're going to begin to unpack through this talk, this sermon. You know, many of us are familiar with Isaiah 6, and if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there with me. We're not going to camp out there long, but um, just so that you can kind of follow along with me, in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, there's this story of the commissioning of the prophet Isaiah. And in, it's one of my absolute favorite passages of Scripture. And I'm going to read it to you. In Isaiah 6, starting in verse 1, it says this. I'll give you a couple moments to turn there with me. But in verse 1, it says this. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. There it is, vision. He saw the Lord. 
sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You see, when we catch a glimpse of the glory of God, when we get a vision of who he is and his holiness, everything else pales in comparison. It's all rubbish. This was the prophet of Israel who had holy words on his mouth. And yet in a vision of who God is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he says, woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. And then in verse 6, then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from tongs with the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I believe this is a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and after receiving the atonement, salvation, purity, forgiveness, whatever word you want to use to describe it, look at verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people. Now, most sermons that I have heard on Isaiah 6 ends on verse 8. It's an amazing passage because it ends with the commissioning of Isaiah to go and do mission and, and do ministry because he's got this vision of the glory of God. But look at verse 9 with me. This is where the Lord is sending him. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And you're like going, isn't that the opposite of ministry? <laughs> so let's just clear this up. God is sending Isaiah to an unfruitful ministry. Why would God do that? His glory? He's writing a story that's above us and beyond us? And yet Isaiah, because he has a vision for the glory of God, he's like, sign me up. Because there's something more glorious, more significant, more weighty than just a fruitful ministry or a growing church. There's something so much more, and that is the glory of God. And so when ministry or life or mission gets hard, if I have a vision for the glory of God, then whatever obstacle, whatever thing gets in my way, I will say, I'm here, Lord. I just want to be faithful. I just want to show off your glory. I just want to do what you called me to do. And that's what's amazing about this particular passage. Because for Isaiah, he is so mesmerized and captivated by the glory of God. He's just, I just want to be on the team. I just want to play. Just, I don't want to sit on the bench. I just want to be a part of the story. I'll give up my smaller story for your grand story. I just want to get in the game. I want to do something that lasts for eternity. 
And, and if you look on the page of every scripture, all throughout the Bible, there's one thing that motivates God, and it's his glory. It is ultimate, and you can see it clearly. Now back to Habakkuk. What is the compelling vision for us these days? What is the preferred future? It's this picture, and it is a preferred future, especially in light of everything that's going on in the world these days. Isn't it hopeful and encouraging to know that one day the earth will be covered as the waters cover the sea with the knowledge of the glory of God? That's what we're looking to. That's our preferred future. And if you look at Habakkuk 2, 14, it says, this will happen. It's a certainty. All of history is marching toward this glorious end. It will be. And so the question this morning for all of us as Christians, and even if you're not a Christian this morning, the, 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 there's only one ultimate thing in the universe as we're going to begin to impact more and more. It's the glory of God. And so the question for all of us this morning is this. Do you want to play? Do you want to play for glory? Do you want to get on the field? Do you want to get on the pitch? Do you want to play for glory? Because if you have a lesser vision, I promise you, you may give up. Your motivation may wane. But I promise you, if you can catch a glimpse of the glory of God, then you will not cast off restraint like Proverbs 29, 18 say. You will have a vision and you will not perish. You will not give up, but you will persevere to the end and not in a begrudging submission like, I guess I just got to show up. No, you will be animated by joy and passion because you are living for the most ultimate thing, the very thing that you were created for, the glory of of God. And you will have a joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's the promise of the Christian. Earlier in Habakkuk 2, it actually says this. It says, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. And so my hope this morning, my hope this morning is that you will see plainly that the vision for ministry, that the vision for mission, that vision for everyday life is the glory of God. That's where history is going. That's where redemptive history is going. It's where all things are headed because from him and through him and to him are all things. So to him be the glory. This is where all of history is going. And we have an invitation this morning to play, to get involved. Because my hope for you is that having caught a glimpse of the glory of God, that you will run, the vision will be plain, and you'll write it down clearly, and you will say, I will run, I will play, I will do whatever my part is, even if it's like Isaiah, and I have an unfruitful ministry, but that's what you've called me to, I will run with the vision. Think about someone like Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott gave his life for the glory of God on mission. Was it a waste? No. It was not a waste. Because number one, if you're taking notes, the first thing that we have to acknowledge this morning is that God is playing for his glory. God is playing for glory. 
Have you ever asked, like, why did God create the universe? Like, why? Like, he didn't need to. He's not like one of the gods of Greek or Roman mythology. He doesn't need our worship. It's not like he's going to cease or, you know, oh, I really need their worship. Or No, it's nothing like that. He is self-sufficient. He is the happy God. He is love, right? Between the Father, Son, and Spirit, there's been this eternal dance, C.S. Lewis called it. He is perfectly self-sufficient. That's what orthodox teaching says. We, we know that God is self-sufficient. So why? Why did God create this? And I think it boils down to two things. Number one, to show his glory. And number two, to share his joy. It's simple. That God created this to show who he is, and to share his joy because the joy and the love and the peace, the shalom, the goodness, the beauty, the truth, everything that makes God God, he wanted to share it with someone because it was so good. It was even life itself. And so he creates, he creates the angelic host and then he creates the universe. And Psalm 19.1 says the heavens, what? Declare the glory of God. And then he creates humanity in his own image that we might be reflectors of the glory of God. I love what Louis Giglio says. He says that we house-mirrored souls designed to reflect the glory of God. We're made in the image of God. Why? To reflect his glory. We have no glory within ourselves. Everything that we have is borrowed glory. It is a reflected light. But God created to show his glory and to share his joy. So the heavens are declaring it. Humanity is declaring it. And yes, we'll get to the part where we've made a mistake and we sinned and we fell short of the glory of God. So he has to introduce redemption to the, the, the story. But think about Exodus. Why, why did God save the Israelites out of Exodus? pretty clear the glory of God Exodus 14 4 says I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts and they shall know that I am the Lord well what about Israel what about the law what about the priesthood what about the tabernacle at the very end of Exodus what happens when the tabernacle is finally finished the glory of the God shows up and fills the tabernacle with glory it's a little foretaste of where history is going. The tabernacle represented God's holy space where his glory filled it tabernacle. Then it filled Solomon's temple. And ultimately it's going to fill. It is filling the church, right? Because we are the temple of the living God. We are in Christ. And then one day where there is no temple because we have the lamb and the, the glory of the Lord fills the earth, there will be no need for a temple because all of creation will be his temple, will be his place. And all of the glory of God, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's where this is headed. It's all about God's glory. Redemption. Why? Why did God save us? Well, Isaiah is pretty clear on this. I want to read it. If you want to turn there, you can, or you can just listen. But in Isaiah 43, 5 to 7, it's this beautiful passage that tells us why God motivates. And there's so many scriptures. Just, like, Google it. If you have a Bible software, just, like, type in glory. There's so much on every page of scripture. You see that God plays for his glory. Isaiah 43, 5 to 7 says this, fear not, 
for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east. And from the west, I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, here it is, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Why is God motivated for redemption? He, he wants his sons back to glory. Because he wants to share his joy. He wants to share his life. He wants a family. He, he wants sons and daughters to be about his father's business. He wants to invite us to play. And the father's business is to glorify his name. This is where all of history is going. Now, Jesus, obviously, is the apex of the glory of God on the earth. This is why in Luke 2.14, we know this every Christmas, right? The angels show up to those shepherds, and what do they say? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. In Luke 2.32, um, it is said that his birth was a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory for your people, Israel. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Amen? But Hebrews 1.3 says that the radiance of God's glory is who? Jesus. Meaning I can go out and look at the stars. For me, astronomy was one of the things that really set me off of a religious track and onto this pursuit and passion for the glory of God. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. But the radiance of the glory of God is Jesus. Meaning if I want to catch a glimpse of the glory of God, I don't go look at the Hubble telescope images. I go to the gospel. Because it's in the gospel where I see the glory of God the clearest. So if you want to get a glimpse of glory, you need to see Jesus in the light of the gospel. He is the eye of the storm of the glory of God. John 1.14 says it this way. The word of God, the word that was God, the word that was with God, became flesh and tabernacled among us, dwelt among us. You remember what I said earlier about the tabernacle after Moses had finished it, that the glory of God came and filled the tabernacle? John purposefully uses this language to say that when Jesus Christ tabernacled among us, the next part of that scripture says, and we have seen his glory. It's pretty obvious where the story is going. It's about the glory of God. We see in Ephesians 1 that salvation, adoption, all the fruit of salvation is according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. And in verse 14, it sums Paul's really long run-on sentence there in Ephesians chapter 1 and says, to the praise of his glory. God is playing for glory. And he's inviting us to join him. But number two, if you're taking notes, we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Think about it. When Paul defines sin, he does it in context with the glory of God. That we've all fallen short. We've missed the mark. There was something that we were created for, some vision that we were to pursue to motivate us and animate us, 
and we've all fallen short. Jeremiah 2, I think, describes this. If you have your Bibles, or you can just listen. But in Jeremiah 2, 11 to 13, this is what the prophet Jeremiah says about our sin, our idolatry. In verse 11, I want you to hear God's perspective on the matter. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their what? Glory. They change their vision. They change what they're living for. They, they change their glory. They've fallen short of the glory of God. For that which does not profit, be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, number one. And number two, they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So what is the, 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 the problem of humanity? The first one is that we have the glory of God. We have the fountain of living waters. And we said, no, thank you. And it wasn't just that, because we were created created for glory. We were created for worship. So you know what we did? We didn't just forsake the fountain of living water. We then went and created our own wells of glory, our own visions of life, and they all fell short. They all were broken cisterns that cannot hold water. How many of you, for me, that was baseball. For me, that was marriage. These can be good things, but that aren't ultimate things. And because they're not ultimate God things, that they can become bad things in our life. They're lesser visions. That's the, the very nature of sin. We've fallen short of the glory of God. I love what St. Irenaeus said, that the glory of God is man fully alive. Think about that. Because remember, it's not just that God wants to show his glory, but he wants to share his joy. Why is God so glorious? Because he is life, truth, beauty, goodness, peace, love, all of these things. It's who he is. And so for us to share in his joy, to share in his love as his image bearers, this is glorious. You see, right now, humanity we are so far from what God has intended for us to be. We have fallen short of the glory of God. You were created. Please hear this. For some of you that think you have no worth and no dignity and no value, you were created to show his glory. You were created to play a part in his story of glory. So the question again remains this morning, do you want to play? Do you want to play? This is why Jesus in John 15 says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Listen to verse eight. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What fruit are we talking about here? We're the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, gentleness. These are the very essence of who God is. This is God. This is Him sharing His very life and being with us in the Spirit. 
And while, and, and as the fruit is blossoming in our lives, what's it doing? Not only are we receiving the joy, but it's showing forth his glory. This is God's mission, to show his glory and share his joy. Because ultimately, sin is living for something penultimate. If you don't know what that word means, penultimate, it means second to ultimate. It means secondary, second, last. And my friends, anything that you live for that is penultimate, no matter how good it is, compared to the glory of God, it is so far down the ladder. What is sin but falling short of the glory of God? Number three, the gospel is the hope of glory. You see, yeah, we've, we've sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. But God was not satisfied to leave us in that place. And so he sent his son Jesus, the radiance of God's glory, to go to the cross. And there at the cross, he died for sinners who had fallen short of the glory of God. And then on the third day, he raised victorious from the grave. Why? So that we could be brought back into the family so that we could once again show his glory and share in his joy. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Colossians 1.27. Colossians 1.27 says this. Well, I'll start in verse 26. He says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed in his saints. That's you, church. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's why, verse 28, we do what we do as a gospel church. Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. What is the mystery of the ages that's now been revealed to the church? Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have the hope of reflecting in ever-increasing glory who God is and what he has done in the gospel. How do we do this? Well, you cannot show the glory of God until you see the glory of God. Because we become what we behold. Let's turn real quick to 2 Corinthians, and this is kind of where we're going to land the plane. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read up to a few verses in chapter 4, because I want you to see where this is going. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17, it says this, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Anyone want to say amen to that? And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same 
image. What we behold, we become. If you behold money and greed as your pursuit, as your vision, you will become more and more like that. If it's sex or power or control or whatever lesser vision you have, if you behold that and it seizes your imagination, you will become more and more like that. Why? Because we are image bearers. We are unceasing worshipers. What you behold, you will become. And so the Apostle Paul says we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the other. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, if you look down a few verses to verse 3 of chapter 4, listen to this. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. What is the problem of your unbelieving spouse family member, friend, co-worker, or neighbor. Their problem is not that you're not a great apologist or that you can you know, creatively communicate the gospel to them. Their problem is that they are spiritually blind and they cannot see the glory of Jesus. And so therefore the vision of the glory of God that's in Jesus has not captivated their hearts to give everything to Jesus because he's that valuable. This is the pearl of great price. This is the treasure hidden in the field that when someone found it, they gave everything to go get it. Why? Because it's the ultimate vision. That's your friend's problem. They need to see Jesus. And so it keeps on saying this. It says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. If you're a gospel minister, this is like gold right here because it's saying that I don't preach me. I don't proclaim me. I have one thing that I'm to proclaim. I am to show his glory and share his joy. That's what God's doing, and that's what I'm doing as his son. That's what you should do as his son or daughter. That's our mission, to show his glory and share his joy. So when I preach, it's not me. It's not my testimonies. Testimonies are good, but it should all glorify who? Jesus, because the problem of your unbelieving friends is that they can't see Jesus. And so it says... For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. You see, that's the greatest miracle, that the light of God the glory of Christ has shown in our hearts. And we have the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. Have you seen him? Have you seen his compassion? Have you seen his glory? Have you seen his beauty? Because if you see him, you will never be the same. Because he's ultimate. He's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. His grace is amazing. His redemption is complete. There is nothing like Jesus. Have you seen him? 
You see, Sinclair Ferguson said it this way, the rhythm of the Christian's life is always determined by the principle that when the revelation of God in his glory is grasped by faith, the response is to return all glory to God. Meaning, when you catch a glimpse, like Isaiah, you're like, just sign me up. I just want to play. I just want to be a part of this story. Even if that means I have to go have an unfruitful ministry somewhere, if that's what you're calling me to the Lord, then let me go. It will be my joy. Because at the end of the day, it's not your ministry, it's not your mission, it's not even your, your life or your marriage. All those things can point to the glory of God, but they're not ultimate. Because at the end of the day, this, this thing is going somewhere, and it's going where the earth will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. You see, this is how we change. I'll give you four quick points. I'm almost done. Four quick points. Number one, revelation. You've got to see Jesus. And that revelation will lead you somewhere. It will lead you to repentance. What is repentance but a changing of the mind and a turning from a lesser vision to a greater vision? It's seeing things differently. It's seeing that the thing that I've been living for and motivating me, whatever that is, that it's lesser than the glory of God, I repent. And Jesus said in Matthew 3, 8, that we bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Because guess what? Our hearts are prone to wonder. We have idol factories for hearts. We're always, and that's the whole world. Look at this, pursue this. It's lesser vision. That's all marketing is. This is the vision for your life. This is the vision for your life. And this is why Romans 12, 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's point number three, renewal. So once we catch a glimpse of who God is, revelation, it changes how we see the world and see ourselves and see God and, and are motivated for life, mission, and ministry. That's repentance. And then renewal. We renew our mind. How do we renew our mind? By gazing at Jesus in the light of the gospel. We need to know the gospel upside down, all in and out. We need to know the gospel because how are we to love except knowing that Jesus first loved us? How are we to serve except knowing that he first served us? How are we to give? How are we to show compassion? Everything that is called to show the glory of God all comes from the light of the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ because at the end of the day, if you want your neighborhood to return to Jesus, they need to see Jesus in your face. How is that even possible? Well, it just said it in 2 Corinthians 3. The more we behold him, the more we become like him. And that's why number four is reflection. Revolution, or revelation, repentance, renewal, reflection. And the beautiful thing about this, this is what I call the 4R revolution. Because not only is it a revolution, but it also is for our radical change. But guess what? When we are being transformed with ever-increasing glory from the Spirit, by the light of the gospel, guess what they see out there? Guess what your wife or your husband or your grandkids gets to see? They get to see the face of Jesus becoming more shiny, more bright, more glorious in your life, and then your reflection becomes their revelation. 
And then they see Jesus through your life and your actions. And yes, you got to preach the gospel. Because faith does not come from hearing the gospel. But if your gospel is not adorned with good works, what good is it, my brothers and sisters? They've got to see the face. Moses said, show me your glory. And God said, you can't see my glory. You can only see my back. But what Paul just said is that we get to see something that Moses didn't. We get to see the face. We get to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I want you to close with these two quotes. If the pursuit of God's glory is not ordered above the pursuit of man's good in the affections of the heart and the priorities of the church, man will not be well served and God will not be duly honored. I am not pleading for a diminishing of missions, but for a magnifying of God. When the flame of worship burns with the heart, with the heat of God's true worth, his glory, the light of missions will shine to the most remote places on the earth. Another quote, the zeal of the church for the glory of her king will not rise until pastors and mission leaders and seminary teachers make much more of the king when the glory of God himself saturates our preaching and teaching and conversation and writings and when he predominates above our talk of methods and strategies and psychological buzzwords and cultural trends, then the people might begin to feel that he is the central reality of their lives and that the spread of his glory is more important than all their possessions and all their plans. What do people need? They need something meaningful, glorious, and that's what we have, church. The gospel is Christ in us, the hope of glory. College students right now are facing what some are calling the meaning crisis. What is that? It's someone who was created for the glory of God and have found all of these lesser, vis lesser visions wanting and failed them. And so they're in a crisis. And church, you have the opportunity to step out and say, I know what you were created for. But in order for that to happen, you have to get out of these walls. If you're motivated to show the world the glory of God, yes, we show the glory of God to one another, but we must see that we are a light of the world and that we cannot put it in a box or contain it under some lamp or basket. I'm all mixed up with the old song, this little lie. I'm all, I don't have time to go to Matthew 5, but you understand what I'm saying. We can't take this glory and take this gospel that we have in jars of clay and hide it. We have to go out in our everyday life. And this is why Paul says, in the context of mission and evangelism, whatever you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, do it all for the glory of God. If the glory of God never gets out into our everyday life so that others can see Jesus, that our reflection would become their revelation, my friends, we're doing it wrong. We got to get out there and they got to see his compassion in us. They have to see his love in us. They have to see his grace in us, his unity in us, his joy in us, his, and I can keep going, in us. You house mirrored souls designed to reflect the glory of God. So church, arise and shine, for your light has come in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. 
we thank you. We thank you for the gospel. We have pursued lesser things. Our hearts are prone to wonder. But in your rich mercy and grace, you have continually held out the gospel of forgiveness and salvation and redemption, of restoration and renewal. This morning, if you would say that you've sinned, and by that I mean that you have lived or are currently living for a vision that is lesser than the glory of God and the beauty of Jesus. And maybe because of that, you've given up on him, you've given up on church, you're just going through the motions, you've given up on mission and evangelism, and you're just going through the motions because your vision is something lesser than the glory of God. You've sinned, and you've fallen short of the glory of God. But today, you would say, I repent. I want to live for the glory of God. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so I can pray with you this morning? Anyone here? Jesus, I thank you for your children, your, these dear brothers and sisters. I pray that they would see that the glory of God is ultimate. And if we would catch a glimpse in the light of the gospel, it would change everything. We'd give everything. We'd go to distant shores. We'd go across the seas. We'd go across the street. We'd do whatever it takes to show people the glory of God. And in doing that, we would share in your joy. This is what we were created for. This is what we were made for. And I just pray, Lord, that you would fill them with your spirit, that they would know that they have a treasure in jars of clay. And they would become your biggest ambassadors, gospel bringers, because they have tasted and seen that you are good. Bless them, Lord, this morning. And I just need to ask, I feel compelled to, if there's anyone here who's never really put their faith in Jesus, maybe you've done the religious church thing, but really, you've never been captivated and mesmerized by the gospel of Jesus where you would lay down everything just to gain him and this morning having heard the gospel you would say I want Jesus is there anyone here that would just say that's that's me and I need Jesus I just want to pray for you if not it's okay just feel compelled all right we're all Christians Father, as I conclude this service, I just pray for Foundation Church. I pray that they would be consumed and captivated by your glory and that they would gather in worship to glorify you and to give thanks and gratitude for all that you have done. And then as they gather, they would then scatter to mission and ministry and 
across the seas. I'm thankful for their mission service. And across the streets, I'm thankful for their community outreach. I pray that it would grow and it would multiply because they know that they have been given the invitation to play. And they take you up and join with you, God. And I pray that Foundation Church plays for the glory. All these things are said in Jesus' name. Amen.